0: Three, two, one.
1: Got him. No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't. oh my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M.
0: He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got back. all the advantages. Easy. Welcome back to the Aggie War Pod. I am Mike Craven, senior writer of Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com. Joined by my co-host, as always, former Fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman Jay Arnold. We had a week off last week. I was in Kauai. Uh, How would you enjoy uh, your, your two weeks there?
1: Uh, it, was, uh, it was a good time. Uh, you know, obviously, I would have rather been in Kauai, but yeah. I didn't get that invite. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm suffering in Houston, Texas alone. I thought about going down to Galveston just to get a, a taste of the beach, but I don't think that would be quite the same.
0: I'm headed up your way today after some more work tonight. I have uh, my stops at the magazine at Rice in Houston this week, so I'll be joining you in what I assume is a humid Houston as always uh kawaii was pretty cool i don't know if you've ever been to hawaii um i have gone to oahu before but i'd never gone to Kauai. it was a much different island it's almost like a rainforest or jungle as much as it is kind of beach paradise because of where it is it it was a lot of fun Uh, i got engaged so that was that was pretty cool
1: congrats
0: yeah that was a that was a pretty cool deal i've been married before and i convinced myself that i would never ever do this again Uh, so I, I am insane. The time heals all wounds type situation. I'm ready. I'm ready to get lawyers involved for the second time. So we'll see how that (laughs) one, (laughs) we'll see how that one goes. Um, on this episode of the Aggie War Pod, I feel like it's our fourth, I think fourth total, uh, maybe third. I don't know. I'm not that great at math. That's why I got into sports writing. It's not that hard of a job. Uh, I've, I've already messed up one of the pieces of it. And that is remembering what podcast number it is. Uh, but we are a few few ones in the can at this point. Spring practice fully on the way for Texas A&M. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, April 3rd, so 11-ish, 12 days uh, till the spring game. Uh, everything going on behind the scenes there. We don't get a lot to see. You know, they don't allow the media in uh, to a whole bunch. <laughs> we got the uh, weekly schedule media uh, guide for this week, kind of the availability. And it said Monday, no media availability at all. Uh, rest of the week to be determined so who knows if we see any Aggie football we didn't get to record a podcast last week I wish we could have because I don't know how much you caught of the Jimbo Fisher introductory press conference for spring but it was a whole lot of fun
1: yeah I didn't catch too much of it uh I I you know I I know Jimbo's always kind of uh he's if you can Keep up with his cadence and his pace. Yeah, he's a tough speaking. one. Speaking, he uh, he can he can say some interesting things at times.
0: He uh, he is the hardest person to transcribe. Uh, there's a there's a great app called Otter that does a lot of that for you. I, I recommend that to any media people out there listening. It's, it's a great app. Uh, but what was interesting about the first uh, press conference? This was, I guess, back March 20th at this point. Uh two weeks ago. Usually the first press conference of spring is all roses and rainbows, right? Like we're so happy to get back into this. We can't wait. The season has been great. We've had our best January and February and March since we've been here, blah, blah blah blah. Uh, but it was a little contentious. Like Jimbo was in a little bit of a mood and he did not want to answer too many Bobby Petrino questions. He kind of like went on this, you know, he was asked point blank, uh, who was gonna call plays, and he goes, We'll figure that out as the time comes. Then there was a follow-up question. And then at that point he goes, well, you can just assume uh, Bobby's calling the plays. I'm fine with that. I'm still not sure if that means Bobby's calling the plays or if we're just supposed to assume that he is. I'm not I'm not wholly sure on how that happened. Uh, but spring football is going on at Texas A&M. And I personally think that friction is a good thing coming off a of five-win season. I, I'm actually okay with your head coach showing up to press conferences and being a little surly already and trying to set the tone through the media in that way. So today we're going to talk expectations in 2023, kind of what constitutes success and what constitutes failure uh, for the Aggies this year. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the recent Aggie Pro Day, uh, and then it's Final Four time. You know, no, not that one, not that one. Uh, the send away J sweepstakes is down to the final four. So we'll discuss potential landing points uh, for Jay. Is that in November that you're going to that game? Or is that October?
1: So it is October. So the send Jay away thing started last year. Uh, and the whole impetus behind it was just to go experience a new place. Yeah. I love Brent the a and bye week. Uh, and West Virginia was the winner last year. So I went up to Morgantown, uh, had a hell of a time. Uh, and we're doing it again this year and, you know, hopefully this year I'll actually be able to, uh, do a little charity fundraising as well with it. I'm going to try to do that depending on whoever wins and get involved with a local charity at the spot that I, uh, end up going to.
0: Yeah. Great idea. Smart by you to kind of figure out this way to, to get a vacation into another football uh, area. Maybe one day it'll get sponsored. You won't even be, you know, coming out of pocket for it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be working on that, but yeah, I think it was a great idea. Um, and so we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, but first let, let's talk expectations for this team in, in 2023, of course, five and seven last year, you know, not, not what, you know, the Aggies expected or what they thought were going to, going to happen. They were in, they entered the season ranked sixth uh, in the preseason polls for the second year in a row. Uh, and did not finish ranked obviously lost six straight at one point in the sec before we get into 2023 let's set the tone here let's set the table of how bad at points it was in 2022 they were 0 and four on the road they lost to four opponents in 2022 that they're that are on the schedule in 2023 um, they were two and six in sec play uh, and the teams that a and won beat the five teams that a won Uh, combined to go 28 and 32 on the year and only LSU finished better than one game above 500. So not many great wins, not a lot of wins, not good on the road, not good in the, on the, in the conference. What are your expectations? Not your hopes and dreams, right? We all have hopes and dreams, you know, but like, after coming off that year, where do you think a reasonable expectation is for this team?
1: And and you didn't even bring up the worst part, which was the app state loss to a, To a Belt team that didn't end up uh, bowl eligible. Yeah. Uh, a team
0: that lost to Texas State. Yeah. So, uh,
1: obviously, you know, App State tends to be one of the better teams. But last year was not one of their better years. But, uh, I mean, looking at the expectations, you have to improve. Uh, the problem is, it's not an easy schedule in, no. in 2023. Uh, uh, you know, the, the standard has to be high for Jimbo coming off this year. Uh, bowl eligibility, I think is a minimum, but the expectation I think is going to be a lot higher, uh, than that, uh, among, uh, fans of, uh, fans of A&M and among the boosters as well. I mean, it, it's, it's tough because there was a lot of variables that a went through last year. Uh, you know, you had a lot of injuries, you had some locker room issues, basically it was, uh, Murphy's law at work. Right. Anything yeah. that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Aggies. Uh now you you look into twenty twenty three and you know you have a tough road game at Miami, but uh New Mexico and Louisiana Monroe on either side of that should be wins. Yeah. Then you dive into the SEC schedule and nothing I mean to me nothing is guaranteed on here. Like there's not a single contest that you look at and say, A&M should definitely win this game until you get to the classic uh, SEC late season uh, cupcake game against the Abilene Christian. I mean, you have Auburn who has a new head coach in Hugh Freeze, who you lost to last year. You have an Arkansas team that that game's always chaotic uh, you go on the road to a Tennessee team that, you know, was very, very good last year. Obviously, there will be uh, some changes with that offense, but as long as Hyples at the helm, I see that team being a threat. Uh, South Carolina, I think, honestly could end up taking a step back, but obviously Shane Beamer has been uh, been a little bit of a shot in the arm to a program that had been down and had kind of been that – Circled win for Aggies on the schedule. Uh, I mean, all miss and Mississippi State in November. Mississippi State's kind of been a thorn in AM side since joining the SEC. And then you head to LSU and what I'm sure is a, another revenge game of sorts for the Tigers uh, after AM beat LSU last year. Uh, LSU will want to get that one back when they had a uh, an, op- an outside opportunity if they had beat AM to. Perhaps make a a playoff case uh, against Georgia in the in the SEC championship. So it, it's tough. I mean, when I look at the expectation uh, as a as a fan, I would be very very worried about the schedule. Uh, I think everything from uh, missing a bowl again to competing at the top, depending on know how things work out with the new offense coordinator and if the defensive line uh can you know kind of buckle down against the run i mean there's a lot that's on the table here and that's that's part of the problem with having a team that was so young in certain places last year
0: i think it's perfectly reasonable to expect this team to be better but the record not to necessarily reflect it like because of the schedule that you just mentioned, right? Like the offense is going to be better. Connor Wegman is going to take a step forward. He has experience now. He's been around campus. He has so many weapons to choose from. I'd imagine the offensive line takes a step forward with so many guys back now that they've played around each other. The offense is going to be good. Uh, And then you look at the defensive side and that front, that front is just full of talent. The back end is full of talent. If they figure out the linebacker spot, Uh, They're going to be okay defensively as well. But how much does that matter in the SEC, right? like You can be a good team and still go seven and five, eight and four, even six and six. So as I mentioned earlier, it's starting to get magazine season where I'm going around to all these schools. And also one of the things I have to do is start to put together a, a projected wins and losses. I have to do that for every single FBS team. It's hard to do in April. I kind of refine it in May, but then you're kind of living with your choices, you know, that early in the year. So let's kind of just go through this real quick and see where we end up with wins and losses. And then we'll talk about kind of what that means for A&M. So New Mexico in week one, we're both going win. Yes, I
1: think, uh, I think we can pencil that one in. Uh, n- <sighs> this is... So this is completely off topic, but I wish New Mexico was better as a program. Uh, I, I do think that, uh, that A&M uh, shouldn't have any problems. I don't think we're going to learn that much in week one either, though. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's a win. At Miami.
1: I'm going win on this. I'm going win as well. I think A&M is in a better position to take a step forward than Miami is.
0: Yeah. I mean, A and M wasn't that good last year, and they still beat the Miami team. I think A and M's closer to success than Miami. I agree with you, and I think Jimbo's a better in-game coach than Cristobal. To be honest with you, I know Cristobal is really good at acquiring talent, but he's going to do something down the stretch that's dumb that's going to allow A and M to to win that football game. So we got him at two and zero, Louisiana Monroe. That's obviously a, a win right there. So so three and zero to start the season. Now we get to the SEC, Auburn at home new coach there at auburn i'm i'm leaning towards win there
1: i'm leaning win uh but obviously the new coach makes it a little bit uh a little bit frightening if i'm an a&m fan
0: then we got Uh, then we got arkansas so if we're at 4-0 right now uh then we got arkansas and arlington
1: uh i'm i'm leaning win on this one too just because i think arkansas is going to be missing some pieces they lost a lot of the momentum they had early season last year and uh it's going to be one of those chaotic games That this game seems to always be uh but uh, but i'm leaning win here
0: i'm with you there uh, for the same reason and i wanted to do this to point this out we have now started at AM being five and oh right like m can very easily get on this role early on that can propel them into some success later on the year much like LSU did last year where like all of a sudden you look up you're winning some football games and now everybody's rowing in the same direction all that talent in the locker room I do think that there's a case to be made that am gets out to this incredibly fast start that makes them a top 10 team by the time October starts however they could lose at Miami they yep. could lose to Auburn and Arkansas game is always really weird. So we could we could be sitting here thinking, A&M's got a real chance to go 5-0. and But come October 1st, we could be talking about a 2-3 and A&M team. Like, that's how thin the margins are. Yeah.
1: And that is uh, the way of life in the SEC. Yep. So uh, circling kind of back to that Miami game, though, one thing I will say is that is a road game. But you look at Miami's crowds and uh it's not as much of a home field advantage at a place like miami uh as some other uh big non-conference road games might be
0: 100 you just have to you have to avoid the miami trap and if what was said about the AM locker room last year was even half true they're gonna have to show some maturity on a road trip out to miami not getting in trouble that night before not doing any dumb stuff like that and so that's going to be an early test not only of talent but I think of the maturity of that football team. As we mentioned earlier, they were 0 and 4 on the road last year. The only real road game they won was in Arlington against Arkansas. So they're going to have to show some more maturity. Hopefully, not having so many freshmen helps with that. So we're in theory at 5 and 0. Maybe let's say they lose a game at 4 and 1 to start the year, going in October. Then it gets real interesting. Now, now is where it gets fun. Alabama. I think we both probably, on paper at least, going to pick going to pick the Crimson Tide
1: yeah uh for sure, and I think there's ways that a m can win this game you know obviously they were in it last year mm-hmm. uh, and and it was uh on the road in Tuscaloosa uh, Alabama didn't have Bryce young they won't have Bryce young this year so there's uh there's definitely some ways for a m to 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 stay competitive in that game and for whatever reason it seems like you know Jimbo kind of brings his a game anytime he plays bama but uh, I am leaning Alabama when they come to College Station, uh, October seventh.
0: Yeah, most most former assistants for for Nick Saban kind of wilt under that pressure of kind of looking across. It kind of feels like Waterboy, you know, where the head coach is kind of looking across and. And intimidated that way, Kirby Smart's obviously slayed that dragon because he's got five stars on on the team. That's that's the best program in the nation. But it does feel like Jimbo is kind of on that same track in terms of a coach. Like it does not seem that he's intimidated by it. It seems that it brings the best out of him. If he coached and called plays the way that he normally does against Alabama, I don't know if Bobby Petrino is on College Station's campus right now. I I think it's one of those things where you know, for whatever reason, he brings it on on that game. So I'm with you there in terms of like, obviously there's ways for them to win that game. They won it the last time it was at Kyle field, but I think on paper, it's safe to assume that that's going to be a loss at Tennessee, you know, the Tennessee team last year, really, really good. They lose pretty much everybody. So who knows what, what that's going to be. I lean Tennessee on paper just because it's a road game.
1: Yeah. And, and that will be a, uh, a true uh, crowd test. I think that'll be the first one of the year that's like yeah. the crowd will have a major impact in that contest. Uh, like you said, Tennessee's losing a lot of pieces. Uh, Hyatt, Hooker, those guys are going to be gone. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you know, Josh Heupel's offenses, I've, I, I gotta say that I'm personally biased because I grew up an OU fan and uh, in that time Heupel was the quarterback at OU uh, and then he went on to recruit me when he was at OU as a coach. Uh, so I'm just kind of a big fan of Heupel. But uh, I, the way his offenses have performed, you know, even in 2021 before uh, Tennessee really took off, has just been – it's one of those teams that even if they aren't particularly good, they can still kind of drag you into a slugfest. And, and that's a, a frightening prospect uh, for a Jimbo Fisher coach team. Uh, I will say, though, that changes a little bit with Petrino uh, calling the plays theoretically. Uh, I still lean Tennessee on this because of it being a road game, but uh, I think this is another one that is very winnable for A&M.
0: South Carolina, we're going win for A&M at home? I am going win for A&M at home
1: uh, against South Carolina. You know, uh, Spencer Adler will be back, uh, but a lot of the weapons around him are going to be gone. Uh, I think Jaheim Bell is one of the better players. And, I mean, when he went into the portal, that was kind of a big loss in my book. Uh, but uh, Beamer, I think, is a great coach, and uh, he puts his team in position to win. You know, it's just tough for him because he's in the, in the SEC, right? I think if he's... If, if, if Shane Beamer is a coach at a big 12 school, I think he has some success like a guy like Matt Campbell or uh, one of those guys does where, but in the sec, I think it's a little bit tougher.
0: Then the following week they're at, at Ole Miss. I'm going to lean Ole Miss here again, just road games in the sec is just hard for me to imagine them going in there and beating an Ole Miss team that I think is going to be really good this year.
1: Yeah. The quarterback situation at Ole Miss scares me because it, Seems like it could be a little bit toxic uh, with all of the quarterbacks going in there. Uh,
0: I don't know how many are going to be there after spring ball, though. I think that's one of those. It's almost like an NFL training camp where like three go in and only, you know, one, maybe two emerge from it. The other one goes, finds another spot.
1: Yeah. And, and for those that don't know what we're talking about, Ole Miss got a couple of uh guys in the transfer portal this year joining Jackson Dart. Uh, it was Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma state yeah. and,
0: uh,
1: uh, LSU guy Walker. Howard. Is
0: yeah, that- I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to remember them all off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, think- they got, they got some guys who have started some football games, you know, all in there competing for a job. And it, it really is one of the, one of the first it does feel like one of the first like true, like everybody transfer in to just compete for one job and we'll see what happens. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, one or two of those guys uh, enter the transfer portal afterwards, because it's such a unique position. You can't, you're not going to go play, you know, it's not like being a defensive end or something where you're going to get snaps, even if you're the starter, Uh, it's usually just one guy. Um, So that one, that one's going to be interesting, but you know, if anybody's going to do it, Lane Kiffin's going to, you know, wade into those waters first. I kind of commend them for being able to pull it off.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's going to be – and like you said, it, it's it's creating like an NFL training camp environment. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's where the guys want to get. So, they got to be kind of ready for it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But it, it, it could end up being a toxic situation. I am still leaning Ole Miss as far as the winner of this game with it being on the
0: road. And then Mississippi State at home. Uh, no Mike Leach going to be interesting there uh, uh, for the Bulldogs. But Will Howard, one of the better quarterbacks in college football.
1: Yeah, uh we'll we'll see what happens here. Uh in Mississippi. State. I mean, you know, like I said, Mississippi State has kind of been a thorn in AM side. Uh Mike Leach historically was also uh a thorn in AM side dating back to his Texas Tech days. But uh this is uh another winnable contest for AM. I think uh I think the home field advantage is going to play a role in that. And I, I have AM and penciled in as a winner as well.
0: And then obviously the cupcake week, they got ACU. They're going to win that football game. And then at LSU. <laughs> you imagine. Did, oh, my, <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness. At LSU, the clicks that we would all get at LSU uh, to end the season. Give me the Tigers.
1: Yeah. I and mean, Death Valley is – probably the most intimidating place to play when that place is rocking. I think this game being, and I don't know how the schedule is going to change. This may be the, the last one on Thanksgiving, like to close the season, depending on what happens when Texas and OU uh, get into the SEC. But, uh, you know, the Tigers are going to be looking for revenge. And, and you know, Death Valley is as tough as a place to play. And I think LSU can also take a step forward. Uh, it'll be there, you know, last year was Brian Kelly's first year. I I think this is a team that's primed to take a step forward with
0: with uh, Brian Kelly as as the in in
1: entering his second
0: year as head coach. I know it's hard to do, but I believe that Tennessee is the favorite to win the SEC West. You know, give me Georgia to win the SEC, but just I don't know sorry, what Alabama. Give me LSU. Yeah, sorry. Give me LSU to be to be the favorite to win. Uh, the sec west georgia to win the sec but I, I really do think i know more about the lsu football team than i do at alabama and it's been a long time since alabama hasn't been the on paper favorite uh, in the west that way we're sitting at eight and four so when i did this test earlier today and started doing this for for each of the school i i fell at eight and four as well my ultimate question and the reason i wanted to do this exercise while we talked about expectations is an eight and four season actually the expectation in college state? Like if I went around campus and I asked everybody what's your over and under for, for wins this year, you think what would it be at eight and four? Is that too realistic? Would people be saying 10 wins, 11 wins? Like where, where do you think that would, how do you think that would be judged by the average AM fan if Texas AM went 8 and 4 this year?
1: I think if you go there right now and ask people eight and four would be reasonable, but if the closer we get to the season the more <laughs> uh, ridiculous people are gonna get. Uh, there are gonna be people that are expecting 10 wins and 11 wins and SEC championships this season. Uh, whether that's you know feasible or not. right like, and, and again, I mean, we see how quickly things can change uh, in the landscape of college football when a team like TCU comes out of seemingly nowhere, uh, to, to go to a national title game,
0: LSU last year,
1: LSU last year going to the SEC title game seemed like a, a kind of a wild deal. I mean, Washington, uh, uh-huh. I think, is a team that wasn't talked about uh, enough with the turnaround that they had going from you know, uh, the the seller of the Pac-12 to you know, they're they're very close to to being in that Pac-12 championship game and and had a pretty pretty dang strong close to the season uh so it's things can change hurriedly and I I do think that the SEC West is kind of wide open you have two new coaches or sorry three new coaches uh at Mississippi State at uh at Auburn and okay maybe I did my math wrong uh two new coaches uh but it's Looking at you know Bobby Petrino coming in at AM, there's a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama has a lot of questions on offense, I think. Uh LSU, like you said, does feel like the team that we know the most about uh going into 2020 2023. So it, it's the expectation for A&M being reasonable is probably a seven and five, eight and four season uh but things could go completely different on either side of the table in my opinion
0: so if we set the over and under at eight which i think is the the appropriate number that vegas will come out with in, in may june when when more of the reputable books have a number out there if we set it at eight is the under where we get into the jimbo fisher on the hot like i think eight and four Jimbo's going to be okay. Anything above eight and four, I think Jimbo's definitely okay. They go nine and three, ten and two. Of course, he's fine. If they get to seven and five, is that enough to really start pushing him out the door, or to kind of make that noise hotter and hotter? Or is it going to have to be another sub five hundred year?
1: I think seven and five would be enough to make the noise ramp up a bit. Six and six, and they really. Yeah. And, and 6 and 6 and below and it, it's I mean A&M booster egos are probably as high as any in the country and if they and don't the make a bowl
0: game he's gone.
1: Yeah, I think like, so.
0: 6 and 6 maybe we have a discussion but 5 and 7 or worse like it there's not even a, a conversation to be had. I think the real interesting conversation starts at like 7 and 5. You know like where is the and I guess some of it's relative too, right? Like if Uh, those those are close games heartbreak games that could have gone either way and it looks like the the program is surging and the recruiting still good then of course maybe maybe that changes whether you know you're eight and four but it looks like the program is faltering And got a lot of guys are transferring the recruiting's letting down so some of that some of that is more than just the wins and losses and we understand it's early April Uh, but that that's where I'm at with A&M this offseason is like what is success? like if you if you tell yourself right now what the record is, like where where is it where that fulcrum of, okay, let's keep going down this track or it's time to just cut bait, jump shit, yeah, and I, I think, think it I think it's at seven and five, six and yeah. six.
1: I would say six and six is probably like I because seven and five you're still winning two more games than you won last season, and I realize that you can't judge everything off of a year-to-year basis. Uh, there's the whole body of work you're looking at, but uh, I think seven and five, he's safe, six and six, there's, it could go, it's
0: 50-50. I think six te- six. Texas A&M is the most fascinating program in the state of Texas this year because at Texas, it feels like nothing's going to happen right before the change of the SEC, right? Like the, Sark's going to at least get to 2024. This whole thing's just a ramp up. They don't really get that interesting until 2024. Texas Tech Joey McGuire's in year two you know Baylor won a big 12 championship you know a year you know a year and a half ago um TCU just went to the national championship game Houston's moving to the big 12 so like what are the real expectations there am's the place where it's like man this thing could go if you told me right now am has an LSU type season where they go from you know 500 five and seven to the SEC championship game I'm not all that surprised. They have all the tools to do that. If you told me that they went four and eight and Jimbo got fired and the biggest buyout ever just happened, I also, I think I'm equally as as surprised and it's not very because there's that much variant between what A&M could be this year. And as an outsider, that makes them so fascinating and so fun to follow this year. Uh,
1: It's not as much fun as an insider. You're Right. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm also just constantly weighing the possibilities and knowing how many little things can go wrong or right in a season to change uh, the trajectory and and sometimes you know you have like one injury and everything snowballs from there so it's uh it's an interesting time for sure and i I, I can't say that I blame you for for saying that a and m is the most interesting. Uh, team in the Lone Star State right now
0: it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be a lot and then in 2024 it gets bananas fun because then Texas is in there and now we got a whole a whole nother dynamic to talk about with that with that game returning that rivalry uh, returning on the field so uh, let's move on to Aggie Pro Day and it feels like there's three main guys to really talk about Devon A-Chain obviously the star running back Jalen Jones cornerback Antonio Johnson Uh, defensive back let's start on offense because it feels like that's just what we do i don't know has that ever bugged you that it feels like every single conversational topic in the history of of college football like anybody that does lists or breakdown it always starts with the offensive side of the ball first
1: yeah i mean people always just talk about the offense It's, it's more exciting i get it you know no nobody really comes to games to see the uh, defensive lineman sack the quarterback, or see linebackers. You know, stop stop a stop a run uh, one yard past the line of scrimmage. It's it's a uh, offense just tends to draw people in. It's flashy.
0: I get it. But, I still uh, think one of the sexiest plays in football is watching a safety run an alley correctly.
1: It is like, but you know, I think I think that's us as like. Not casual football fans, right? Right. We right. have a certain appreciation for for different. Defi- like, I could watch pass rush all day mm-hmm. and, and be perfectly happy. I could watch uh, a guy shed a block and and make a big tackle on the run game and and be satisfied. But the the average football fan does not want to just uh, watch the the big guys up front go to work.
0: Do you watch a football game straight through or are you doing a ton of like bounce back to watch a play, bounce back to watch a play, and then all of a sudden you're 30 minutes behind a game or do you just watch it all the way through the way, way it plays?
1: It depends. Uh, you know, like sometimes on college football, I don't really have the option to bounce back because I'll, I'll quad box it. Yeah, and yeah. so then I would have to like stop the whole thing and then zoom in on one. Uh, and, you know, especially if I'm uh, watching with other people, uh, like you know, stopping and rewinding is an option. But like if I get to the point in the season where it's like you know one night game that I'm that I'm really focused on, I will definitely like stop and 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 look at like a route that was run, try to see what went wrong with the coverage before we even get the breakdown from the from the broadcast team. Uh, just because
0: so many years of watching film, you just kind of get used to watching games that way. UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer takes about six hours to watch a single game, even if it's like just a random Thursday and he's watching football on ESPN because he just can't help it, right? Yeah. And I would imagine a lot of football junkies are the same way, where they have to go back, like, what did the guard do there? What did that, you know? So uh, I was curious to see how how you handled that one. Uh, let's start offensively. Uh, Devon A. Chain, he ran a 4.32 in the 40 at the combine, uh, so he decided not to run it at pro day. That feels smart to me. Right, you post a time that you like. You don't want to. You don't want to damage that by running anything slower. Uh, he did the three cone drill and seven point oh five. Also did the twenty yard shuttle in four point three. I feel it's safe to say that that A chain's not going to be your stereotypical three down running back in the NFL, but it feels like he's entering into the league at maybe the perfect time for his skill set, where he can be what is becoming that positionless football, the way that we see basketball being played now, where he can be a running back on certain situations. He can play in the slot. He can play on special teams. I see him being as a Jack of all trades, dude that maybe 10 years ago would have been a negative to say about somebody like, Oh, I don't know where he's going to fit. What's he going to do? Now it feels like a positive because, Oh man, look what he can do. We can keep the same personnel on the field and line him up in four different spots.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at guys like, uh, I mean, even the way Kansas City kind of uses Tyreek Hill in, in a lot of ways, uh, or did use him uh, now with the Tyreeks with Miami. Uh, you look at guys, I mean, Debo Samuel, yeah. uh, who's more of a receiver uh, that ends up in the backfield on occasion. Like you said, it's the flexibility. Uh, it's, you know, lining the same personnel up in different ways to kind of confuse defenses is in a way that's kind of new uh, to to the NFL game. Uh, and, and A-Chain has a lot of that ability. And the other thing I think is that he showed the ability to run between the tackles uh, this past season and get get some of the tough yards that maybe uh, teams were wanting to see if he could. So ha- having that, you know, uh, versatility and, and ability to do multiple things is, is a huge thing for Devon A-Chain. And, you know, obviously he's going to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield as well. So there's a... There's a lot of versatility that, like you said, uh, in olden days, it may have been a, a knock on him that he's not a, a true three-down back. But you don't see too many just three-down backs or every-down backs anymore, just because of the wear and tear of the position and the fact that you know the the way the game has been played offensively has
0: changed. Yeah, those guys get chewed up. You know, you don't want to draft those guys early. It'll be interesting to see where he lands if it, if he sneaks into the third round late in the second round if he's a you know fourth fifth round guy just where that value is uh, because running back has taken a hit in terms of value in the draft but if teams consider him as much a slot receiver as a running back maybe all of a sudden that value jumps through the sky and now he's somewhere you know getting drafted on day two um, two defensive backs you know for Texas A&M also went through pro day Jalen Jones uh, one of my favorite cornerbacks, just a long guy, six two, two hundred 200 pounds. He ran a four, four at pro day, which I think is huge. Cause when he ran at the combine, it was a 4.57 and that's getting towards, can he even play corner stage of, of the 40, uh, posting a four, four, I believe puts him in that, you know, can still play corner in the NFL. I still wonder though, if he's going to end up being a safety in the league.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him make the switch to safety in the league, but, uh, I do think that 40 was a, a big plus for him. And, you know, it's uh it's also good for him having that size and that length when he goes up against guys. Like, you know, if you see a guy like a DK Metcalf out there across from you, I mean, yeah. you, you want to have a corner with a little bit of physicality and a little bit of size to him. And, and Jalen Jones is one of those guys that can definitely provide that.
0: And he also ran the three cone and the 20 yard shuttle and he had times that were as good or faster than a chain, right? So like those short, you know he's not he's not long. he's not he is long, but he's not one of those long striders that doesn't have any type of quickness. you know I think he did maybe out of those out of the three we're talking about, I think Jalen Jones had the most productive pro day. Uh, with that with that 4-4 improving on that time showing the cone showing the shuttle uh, with his size I think he's a really intriguing prospect it kind of fell behind some other guy when we talk a m secondary he just didn't feel like a guy we talked about all that much some of that was injuries uh, but I, I think he's going to be a talented pro that may end up having a better NFL career than he had as a, as a college player uh, and then lastly Antonio Johnson who is just a football playing dude I don't I don't know how else to describe him he, he reminds me like I don't know, Jalen Petrie from Baylor, who's now playing for the Houston Texans. He feels like that kind of guy for me. Six three, one ninety-five, can do it all. He can rush off the edge, can help and run support in the second level, can cover almost anybody in space. Like I think Antonio Johnson is gonna be an all pro, you know, up there kind of NFL player one day.
1: Yeah, he's uh the highest rated among the the guys that participated in the NFL Pro Day uh, or the AM pro day and I think that's for good reason. He can do, like you said, everything. He's a unicorn in a lot of ways. Uh, I think he's a pretty obvious first-round selection. You know, I'm not an NFL draft guy. I don't know exactly how things work out, but uh, he seems like a no-brainer pick for me and and a guy that's going to be really successful at the next level.
0: Because when we talk about Devon A-Chain and like positionless football, like the Debo Samuels, like the way that people are using Travis Kelsey and those kind of tight ends that can line up everywhere. Antonio Johnson's the answer for that. Jalen Petries are the answer for that, right? Like they're the they're the opposite, but the same uh, for those kind of offensive players that being are being created. As the offense evolves and new problems are presented to the defense, you have to figure out ways to solve it. And you do it by body types and having guys who again like a chain probably considered a tweener 10 15 20 years ago it's like what is antonio johnson is he a linebacker is he a safety we don't know we're not going to draft him well now that's a benefit he is a linebacker and he is a safety depending on uh what the offense lines up and and where you can put him. you don't have to change personnel Uh, again i i'm just i'm a huge if you can't tell I have been been a huge Antonio Johnson fan for a long time. He just he's just a guy. He just plays football. He's just everywhere, right? And in the NFL, you know that's the way this is moving. Um, before we get out of here, send Jay away. We got to talk about this. I I am fascinated by this as somebody who is paid to travel around and watch football games. Last year, I watched in horror, absolute horror, as it felt like you weren't getting sent to the prettiest of places. Maybe this is. Describing how I like to travel, uh, but I travel for scenery, right? I am going, uh, history matters to me as well, but for nine, my number one is scenery. So like, you were losing, like, you people were picking West Virginia over like Provo, Utah, and I was like pulling uh, the hair out of my head. Uh, the final four, for people who don't know right now, are Fort Lewis at South Dakota School of Mines versus Arizona State at Washington, right? That's one semifinal. Yep. The other semifinal: Weber State at Eastern Washington versus North Texas at Tulane. We were talking it during text messages earlier, and you think the the favorites right now are South Dakota School of Mines versus Eastern Washington?
1: Yes. So you have the uh, South Dakota School of the Mines. If you've never seen a picture of their stadium, our Stadium uh, in Rapid City, South Dakota, in the Black Hills, uh, it is. They only have stands on one side, but they have a tiered system where you can pull your car into and watch the stadium, like watch football games and tailgate at the same time uh, because of the way the stadium's set up. Honking your car horns on defense is encouraged, I read, uh, as a way to, you know, make noise again for uh, for the other team uh so it, it's it looks like an incredibly unique experience and you know the black hills i think are actually kind of an underrated part of the country you're right as far as uh you're right. scenery goes
0: you're right that's not as bad but the fact that what i don't for everybody listening right now stop what you're doing in google university of washington's football stadium like yeah. it, it's on the pacific ocean like say what you want about seattle i'm not here to get into any political conversations i don't care about your politics I just feel like that is like one of the best scenes uh, for now. It may not have as rabid of a fan base because out out of the Pac-12 out on the West Coast, this is not the same. But Washington's up there. It's about as good as you can get uh, in terms of game day atmospheres. I think it's one of the more underrated places to watch a college football game. Maybe again, it's just the scenery part of me. Or you're like an hour and a half from Olympic National Park. You're an hour and a half from Mount Rainier. You're watching a football game on the ocean. Man, it's hard to beat. It is hard to beat, but it is not. It, it's it's not hard to beat if you're South Dakota School of Mines because it seems like that one as uh, far and away the winner. And then the other one is Eastern Washington, because it's really about who what the home team is, right? Like it's not yeah. this isn't necessarily about the game, it's about the destination.
1: Yeah. Cause like there were some big games in this bracket that got eliminated early. Just amazing. Uh it's Michigan amazing. at Michigan State was one of the games right. and immediately
0: gone. So but the other one is North Texas at Tulane. Like Instead of getting sent to Seattle or New Orleans, they're going to send you to South Dakota or Eastern Washington. (laughs) My question, my question, do you think people are doing it ironically, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to send them, we're going to send them here. Or is it like the... The novelty of it, right? Like everybody goes to Arizona State at Washington or Michigan versus Michigan State, like you were saying. Not everybody will go to Weber State at Eastern Washington or Fort Lewis or South Dakota School of Mines. Do you think it's that?
1: I think the novelty definitely has something to do with it. I also think like Eastern Washington has that red field. Mm -hmm. So there's the unique aspects of it. Uh, as far as places to watch a game at that are that are kind of different from other stadiums but there's also definitely some irony because uh i don't know if you follow sicko's committee on on twitter yeah, but yeah uh they have been championing championing the uh the south dakota school of the mines cause they championed the uh eastern washington redfield cause they they championed uh the superior dome in northern michigan for a while which is the uh the world's largest wooden dome, I believe uh, that, that, uh, that school also made a, a deep run in the, uh, in the Sinjay way bracket, but uh, it'll be interesting. I do think that, so Eastern Washington, like I, I already know that the sickers community is going to pump them up for, uh, for the next match, which will be posted tomorrow. Uh, but I do think Tulane is kind of one of those schools that has kind of a cult
0: following. I hope for uh, your sake, Tulane wins.
1: Well, the problem with Tulane as well, though, is like people are expecting me to go out on Bourbon Street and do a shooey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that could be a little bit hazardous to my health, I think. But uh, New Orleans is probably one of my favorite cities in the world to visit just because of the combination of food, uh, the unique kind of historic aspects of New Orleans. Yeah. The architecture. I mean, it's a it's a special place for me personally. Uh, but you know, I I think Eastern Washington with that Redfield has to be the, uh, the favorite in the bracket. If I'm, uh, if I'm being honest,
0: yeah, that Seattle and then North of Seattle, uh, part of the country is probably my favorites. Like if I could figure out a way to make money and live in the Pacific Northwest, that's where I would be. That probably says something about me and my habits, but that's where I would like to be. Uh, If I could, if I could. And then like you, I mean, New Orleans, New Orleans is New Orleans, right? And, and that's what's funny to me about this situation, right? Is like, that's probably not where you're going. You're probably not going to either one of the, either one of those things. Um, Yeah, the, the, the outreach or like the the interaction that you get from it is just great and it's just cool for some of these schools because some of these schools people probably never never even heard of and now they're googling you know what their what their stadium looks like and all that kind of stuff that's fun that's what college football is at its core
1: and then that's what i love too is like i made the bracket a little bit bigger than 64 teams this year because i wanted to include some fcs schools and some uh some d2 schools and uh just kind of get the word out there like I mean, the, the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference is the, the conference that, that uh, South Dakota School of the Mines plays in, and that has some pretty cool destinations in it, too. I was kind yeah. of bummed that, that Colorado School of the Mines was, was away and not playing at home because that would have been a really cool place to go to.
0: That's an awesome stadium. Yeah. That, I, uh, that is an awesome stadium.
1: I went up, to, we went up to Golden this summer, and I mean, it is gorgeous. Now, uh, late October could get a little bit chilly up there, but uh, it'll (laughs) still be fun. Yeah.
0: We ever want to get nerded out into non-FBS football, I'm your guy. I do a podcast during the season on just non-FBS football. Like I, uh, you know, D2, D3, all that kind of stuff. Uh, There are a lot of cool places to go watch football uh, out in that, in those, in those divisions. So, yeah, I think it's really cool. Before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you, what is the coolest place you ever played a football game? And what is the coolest place you ever went to see a football game?
1: Yeah, so uh, we talked about send away last year and going to Morgantown. Honestly, like that was a lot of fun uh, to to watch a game there. Uh, you said that like talked about like West Virginia versus Provo as far as like scenery, but driving down seventy nine from Pittsburgh to Morgantown, uh, peak fall colors in the foliage, yeah, yeah. actually kind of pretty. Uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, as far as coolest places that I've played a game at uh i think Death valley has to be way up there for me uh it's just such an incredible environment uh you know in the sec you don't really have like those those scenic environments right like a place you know another place that i'd love to to see a game at is uh kid brewer Mm and uh in boone uh any of the mountain west schools like seeing a game out there would be awesome for me uh yeah like i said though i mean I think, uh, I think West Virginia has to be one of the coolest places that I've seen a game, just watched as a fan. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's been any games that I've gone to that are uh, just really stand out as far as a, a cool environment. I tell you what, uh, high school football, seeing a game at Longview is actually kind of a, a cool experience. Uh, if you're just like a football nerd like I am, like that's actually kind of a... A cool place in the in the piney woods of east texas to go watch a football game
0: mine's the rose bowl i um,
1: i i could see I, that <laughs> i don't
0: think i don't think it can ever be tough like i don't i don't think there's a place that i could go uh that i wouldn't would enjoy more uh it's just it's just miraculous it's just it's football heaven it's like when you die every football game happens at the rose bowl like i yeah. firmly i firmly believe that so underrated place uh
1: rice stadium hosted the olympics and i got to see a football game yeah
0: there you go i'm i will be at rice tomorrow talking (laughs) to bloom talking to to gabe taylor a couple other people there uh then houston on wednesday utsa on thursday uh you know rocking and rolling man we're gonna be doing my doing my tour
1: yeah i I tell you what another uh fbs school that i really want to see a game at uh, Utah, I'd love to see oh, a game man. At the Sun Bowl.
0: Sun Bowl's great. Kyle Field has the best atmosphere of any stadium in 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 the state. Obviously, eight, I would say Jones Stadium, Texas Tech, is number two in terms of like just best atmosphere. Uh, but in terms of just coolest place to watch a game. Uh, Sun Bowl for sure you're in the middle of the mountains and you look to the right and the open side of the bowl faces Juarez Mexico so you're like looking into a different country while being surrounded by the mountains while watching a football game it's not too bad don't go downstairs because the stadium itself probably needs to be replaced but when you're in the stands it is a great place uh to watch watch a game I enjoy my trips out to El El Paso if El Paso is the most underrated city in the state I freaking love that place great food great people there's really no crime. You know, like all the crimes across, you know, you you can avoid that. Uh, It gets a bad rep for that, even though it it has statistically less crime than any of the other major cities in the state. So uh, that's my El Paso shout out if El Paso is listening and would also like to sponsor the show Uh, for (laughs) for Paso Tourism. Yeah, exactly. Visit El Paso. Uh, for G- for Jay Arnold, uh, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republican Football Podcast Network, we appreciate you listening. Please rate and subscribe, tell a friend, all of that kind of stuff. Follow us on Twitter at Aggie Warpod. We will talk to you next week.